Hey, 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 welcome in to week nine of Rolling Fat. Um, week nine is upon us, so let's get into it. No trades this week, so let's see how the waiver wire played out for everyone this week. Mike, Tom, and E had first, second, and third priority in the waivers, but opted out this week to hold their place in the pecking order for future waiver wire ads. John scooped up the blossoming rookie, Will Levis, who Rex also had eyes for, and John kept him on the bench for a potential defensive move or potential future play. The only other players to have multiple teams make a run at them this week was myself getting Royce Freeman, the running back for the Rams, who Nicky Coe also made a stab at, and Atlanta D, uh, going up against a new quarterback in Minnesota, Jaron Hall. Tits grabbed him. So far this year, Falcons have been bottom three in fantasy points per game, averaging exactly five per game. But the matchup is way too juicy not to give it a shot. It seems as though Jay and John both shared this interest with Nikki Tits as they also made claims to get them as well. So to recap the highlighted games of last week, um, obviously the first one was the NFL, Raiders versus Lions. The Lions came out and proved to be who we thought they were. Kept right on track with their 26 points per game average up to this point. As predicted, Gibbs had a huge day amassing 189 total yards on 26 carries and five catches, while also finding the end zone for a tutty. He made the most of his last game before the bye week and Montgomery's imminent return after the um, on the other side of that bye. Also, as expected, was Goff putting up a serviceable day, but could have easily been replaced as he ended 20th in fantasy quarterbacks for the week and had the likes of Jordan Love, Josh Dobbs, and Gardner Minshew all finish the week ahead of him. Okay, let me be clear. I fucking nailed the fantasy outcomes for the Lions. And I quote, quote, don't stray away from the reliables in Detroit. St. Brown and Laporta. I continue. Expect St. Brown to have a huge day. Six for 108. And one of his long clutches to be on a slant or something short he takes long. He took a middle crosser for 44 yards. Just going to say it. All right, well, enough of jerking myself off over here. Let's get to the Raiders. Jimmy G sucked. Coaching sucked, and their offense in general sucks and should feel grateful they even got to a measly 14 points. Devontae Adams did get one-third of the 21 total targets, but those seven targets only turned into one catch for 11 yards. And to be clear, I'm using that word target very loosely. Garoppolo was all over the place on some of those passes, not even giving Adams a chance. Outside of Josh Jacobs proving to be a true badass and workhorse through all the bullshit, not else much proven for the Raiders. The one good thing is that this team is under new leadership and appears to have a weight lifted off their shoulders that may allow them to play more freely and creatively. This could be an interesting time to call your shot on a Renfro or trade for an Adams because uh, they're never going to be cheaper. Now to our Fantasy League Games of the Week. Jay went against and fell mightily to Kyle's team. To be fair, Jay had the lowest points of the week at 83.7, so he would have lost to literally anyone but himself. But Kyle did show the ability to take advantage of a lesser opponent and stays content in his fourth place spot. No participation trophies for scoring the eighth highest and still winning by 29. The fucked up part is Jay still managed to stay in second place. You know what they say, the greasy foreigner always gets the oil. Jay did truly have some tough luck though as Mahomes fell 24 points short of his expected total, potentially losing the week for Jay himself. Very unexpected for the Denver squad to show a pulse and beat the defending champs in the fashion they did. And then Tom from the ashes takes down Dave. 
His entire team played pretty much at or highly above their expected point total, with the exception of the aforementioned Devontae Adams. That includes his bench as well. And if Adams can have a uh, change in fortune moving forward with the you know swap around there with the team, this team could truly be a force coming back from a 2-5 and five record. And to be honest, Dave had a hell of a week as well. He saw four countries, golfed three times, fucked three hookers, killed four, and had a pretty good fantasy team as well. He finished 11 points ahead of where he was supposed to be at the end of the week. It just wasn't enough. Now to recap all the week's games, I beat E 169.16 to 101.16. Huge win. You know, best week I've had this year, so pretty cool there. <laughs> uh, tits beat Mike 105 to 91. Jimmy beat Rex 124 to 89. John beat Nikki Coe 121 to 115. Tom beat Dave 144 to 129. And Kyle beat Jay 102 to 83. Now for the awards. Biggest upset. I know we just talked about Tom's records versus Dave's record going into the week and you know how that was a big lopsided victory for Tom. Um, but John at two and five facing off against Nikki Coe at five and two with a predicted loss, and Nikki Coe pulling the all-time homer card, starting Kirk over Sam Howell as Sam Howell was going against the Eagles. This win put John right back into the thick of it and is giving Nikki Coe PTSD of years past. Don't let them demons get to you, brother. You have friends here. Flash sponsor alert. The biggest upset award is brought to you by 988, the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Don't call your friends. They don't want to hear that shit. Call 988. We get paid for that type of shit here. And now, back to your regular scheduled podcast. Biggest winner on the week. We already touched on it earlier, but John coming out strong even with a complete non-factor in Dallin Waller, means he could have been even better on top of that. And he also had three bench players scoring in double digits. So he could have easily had a winner with a combination of different starting rosters. Biggest loser. Jesus, fellas. We might be renaming this award after Mike. Name it the Hot Sister Having Letdown of the Week Award. Presented by Brazzers in collaboration with Pornhub. Mike is now falling to 1-7 with a teeny, eeny, weeny 1% chance of getting into the playoffs. By the way, Jimbo, congrats on your win this upcoming week as Mike is currently starting a player ruled out and is rostering a backup kicker, backup defense, and Nick Chubb, who, who lost his leg in what looks like an IED-type situation. Now for the Thursday Night Recap. Pittsburgh took on Tennessee, looking at the score of 20-16, as well as some of the mediocre offensive numbers, you may think this game was not a good one to catch, but it was no better throughout and came down to the last few drives. Much better than expected. It's probably a good thing John sat Will Levis this week. He played well in the field and did not look out of place whatsoever, but fantasy-wise, it didn't really do anything meaningful. It was nice to see that with this kind of play and the support of the team around him, it's easy to see him keep the starting role, even after Tannehill is back and healthy. The only fantasy-relevant player for the Titans ended up being Derrick Henry, who got 17.7 points, almost 2.5 over his expected total, to help Jimmy out. His touchdown came early and made it seem like he was in line for a huge day, but he ended up just being you know, very solid. On the other side of the field, the Steelers had three guys with fairly relevant days, Deontay Johnson, Najee Harris, and Jalen Warren. Deontay finally ended his touchdown drought that stretched all the way to 20 active games. For a player who is frequently leading the team in targets and reception every time he steps on the field, that's an absolutely wild stat. 
to go along with his tutty. He also went for seven for 90 on nine targets. Um, next on that list was Najee Harris, who's been a complete disappointment this year, which is probably why Kyle had him on his bench for his best showing of the year so far. Tough break. He wasn't overly impressive or efficient, but the stealer way is to feed him the ball no matter what. The volume alone got him into the end zone this time. My hand was forced in reference to starting Jalen Warren this week due to bye weeks, but with Najee's down year and Warren's knack for the explosive play, I felt comfortable. Um, Jalen basically carried the team down to the goal line on that Najee Harris touchdown um, to have his only one stolen. That was like pretty much his only opportunity the whole game. It sucks Najee got it from him, but you know, it is what it is. Disheartening, but a very strong performance with 88 yards on eight carries to go along with his three catches for 25 yards. All right, so now for the highlighted games in the upcoming week. We have the NFL game that we're going to be talking about, Seattle versus Baltimore, over under 44.5 with a spread of the Ravens favored between 5.5 and 6.5, and depending on which sports book you're using. Um, so the expected outcome is right around 25 to 19 in favor of the Ravens. In conventional ways of thinking, it looks to be a potential three-touchdown game for the Ravens versus a two-touchdown game um, for Seattle. Uh, so for the Ravens, you have to imagine it is reasonable to see Lamar being a big part of the, all three of those, whether it be on the ground or through the air. He currently holds the claim to 14 of the 23 total touchdowns for the team, which puts him damn near two per game. Um, he is an average, or I'm sorry, he is an above average quarterback, currently six in the rankings, and Seattle is right in the middle of the pack when it comes to defending the quarterback in fantasy. That, along with the fact that they are tied for eighth worst against fantasy wide receiver, means Odell might finally see some production, as well as Zay Flowers sharing some of that wealth. And maybe with a solid tight end defending team like the Seahawks, Andrews takes it a little easy this week. Not how it typically has worked out this season for them, but definitely something I could see happening. The Gus Bus should be seeing a good amount of carries, but they will still do what they can to share the rushing load with Lamar as well. So I'm thinking, you know, anybody that's running the ball for the Ravens is not a great start start this week, um, especially because they're going against a very tough run D in Seattle. And they just added Leonard Williams from the Giants, you know, really emboldening that front. For the Seahawks, I do not think this is the week to start Geno Smith. Baltimore has crushed quarterbacks, only allowing an average of 12.25 fantasy points per game to the position. To be fair, they have quite the collection of pelts from the likes of rookie C.J. Shroud Week 1 and injured Burrow Week 2, injury replacement Minshew Week 3, Dorian Thompson-Robinson Week 4 for the Browns, Malik Willis and Tannehill Week 6. You know what? The more I read these names and I look at the fact that Josh Dobbs just beat a beat them up last week to the tune of 26 fantasy points, I think Gino could actually be a solid start this week after all. Let's flip it on it. They're middle of the pack when it comes to defending the run, so it might be smart to lean on the physicality of Walker and Charbonnet in spurts to soften the pass thrust and also pull the secondary closer to the line in order to give over-the-top opportunities to Metcalf and Lockett. Like we said earlier, the Ravens have shut down passing games, they also haven't played many comp- competent quarterbacks, so the outcome of this matchup isn't something I'm going to even fake to act like I know or can see the story in my head. Um, I can just you know, predict a strategy they might try. <laughs> I'd feel safe starting Geno, but with all the injuries and replacements in the NFL this week, as well as the bye weeks, Geno might just be a top-half option and not you know, single-handedly lose you a week. If he keeps the rest of your team afloat, he could be serviceable. If you have Metcalf or Lockett, you're probably playing them. And even if you have both, 
um, you might play them with a chance of taking advantage of an unexposed matchup situation. People haven't seen the Ravens, you know, really attack through the air. So maybe it's something we just haven't seen yet. Walker is and will forever be a smart play. And in a game, expect to be very physical. He could be the biggest hammer in the tool shed or the porno shoot, however you want to say it. So for the matchups of our league this week that we're going to be talking about, um, the first one, myself versus Jay. I typically try and find one of these games with the best combined record and then compare from there. Uh, me and Jay have two more wins in the next closest matchup, so I felt compelled. As the week began, I was set to lose by eight points, but that number has shrunk since on Thursday night. Tajay Spears fell about two and a half point shorts, points short for Jay, while Jalen Warren outscored his expected total by four points. After those two players have been decided, it is only a point or so difference. For many reasons, my eyes will be on the Cowboys-Eagles game. If you hear this in time and you want to come by the crib, hit me up. You are all invited. But back to the second most important thing here, fantasy. I have Dak and CD as well as the Dallas D. Even though I'm kind of killing myself about not adding the Raiders, you guys are insane. If one of you doesn't add the Raiders right now, go to your fucking league and add them. Just my opinion. That game will account for nearly 40% of my total points. I'm going to also include Jay starting tight end and Jake Ferguson, who surprisingly the Eagles defend very well um, the tight end position. They do give up a lot to the quarterback, fourth to last, and wideouts dead last. So my fingers are crossed there. Jay will already have a huge chunk of his fantasy points accounted for before the early slate even starts, as he has the old combo of Tyree Kill and Mahomes going at 9.30 in Germany. His game stack there is expected to account for almost half of his total points. This would have been the game to highlight this week, but I also was way too paranoid about writing this and thinking it would get recorded in time, so here we are. Matchup between myself and Jay also holds a lot of weight in the fact that he is currently one and two in his last three and slipping out of the top as everyone else is catching up. Could potentially even put him back in first, but could also slip him all the way back to fifth with a loss. Myself, on the other hand, truly need this uh, in order to make a way out of this middling hellhole with my poorly timed second most total fantasy points, which uh, if I'm getting the luck radar there, it's unlucky across the board. All right, and the game two we're going to talk about is E versus Nikki Coe. This matchup is set to be decided by less than three total points in favor of Nicky Coe. He has been on a roller coaster of wins and losses, sitting at five and three overall. Um, there's less than two total points for difference between the third, fourth, and fifth, where Kyle and Nicky Tits sit respectively. So a loss here, especially if underwhelming in total points, could have him drop all the way down to seventh, but a win could hold him strong at third. A lot on the line for him. E is far from dead at 3-5 because he still has regular season matchups versus Mike Week 12 and Tom Week 14 where a lot could be decided. These two teams may have some of the best bench guys. Nick is still holding on to Kirk Cousins, probably out of name recognition alone, even though the guy may never play again, especially not this year. E is still holding on to a running back he drafted in the ninth round because, you guessed it, he went to Georgia. Just like all the rest of Evan's family, right? He also is holding out hope for boy Amir Abdullah, who has never scored more than two fantasy points in a game this year, most likely just to keep tabs on him for the government. That name sounds suspect as hell. To round things out, he has Marvin Jones, who has been a free agent for weeks. I don't know what he's expecting to get from him in the long run there. The big one to watch here is the Eagles-Cowboys game. 
yet again. Nikki Co has Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard, as E has AJ Brown, as well as Eagles D and the Eagles kicker Jake Elliott. Dallas has been tough this against the pass this year, but this is a division rivalry game where that stuff typically doesn't matter all that much. The Birds will be at home, and I think this has the potential for a high-scoring matchup, but also with some defensive explosive plays like fumbles, sacks, big hits, crowd can change a lot. In all, the Eagles players will account for nearly a quarter of the total points in the matchup and potentially more than that when it's all said and done. The only other NFL game with substantial impact on the matchup is the Raiders vs. Giants as Nikki Coe has Jacoby Myers and Jacobs. He's hoping that a linebacker that never coached offense taking over as head coach and appointing former farmhand turned grocery store clerk, turned QB coach, turned offensive coordinator, Bo Hardigree, can put the Raiders offense back on track. We shall see. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Enjoy the week of games. Enjoy the football. And as always... The boys!